0: Good morning. Good morning, family. Man, it's great to see everybody out this morning. Uh, it's been a big day for us, but it's, it's even a little bit bigger because I told you last week that I had a, a grandchild on the way. Well, on Wednesday, our grandson, our first grandson was born. I think there's a picture up here. There he is. There he is. He was uh, nine pounds, two ounces, but um, his name is Hank Randolph. Harris, you know I've lived with that name all my life. I've never really been, fi- <laughs> I've never really cared for it. Now I have a, w- a reason to be proud of it, uh, to like it even more. Uh, but anyway, that's what they wanted to name him. So uh, that's a lot, that's a big handle to carry all your life. So uh, at any rate, uh, but he's doing mom and, and daughter, uh, mom and uh, son, and husband. Everybody's doing good. We're leaving today after services to go see him. So we're we're pretty pumped today. It's a big day. Um, let me ask you this: Have you ever had? A spiritual high. I feel like we're kind of on one this morning, a little bit, our family. Uh, A spiritual high, an experience that then immediately went down into the valley. I mean, everything was really up here, and then suddenly it went down here. Uh, Several examples of that. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Elijah, he was a prophet. They had a great victory over the prophets of Baal. There were 400 prophets of Baal, and uh, they were opposing Elijah. They had a kind of a throwdown on a mountain. And uh, they they were to call fire down from their God. And, of course, the prophets of Baal had no fire to come down. They were just, it was a dud. But when Elijah called down fire, it destroyed everything, the sacrifice, uh, the altar, the water, the ground around it, everything else. And then all the prophets were put to death. So it was a moment of great victory for Elijah. But then almost immediately, the next thing we read is that Elijah is depressed and discouraged and, and, and doubting God. You know, maybe you've been through something like that in your own life. You had a great spiritual victory, Uh, things were awesome, and then suddenly you experienced failure or some sin or maybe just discouragement in your life. And and it happens to everybody. It happens to everybody, literally, including Jesus, I believe. So in our scripture this morning, we're going to be talking about Jesus and we're going to be learning some lessons here about faith. Let's go to Mark chapter 9 and the scripture, Jesus had been seeing the kingdom expand. He'd been seeing his disciples growing and maturing and developing greater leadership. He had seen crowds starting to gather more and more thousands of people coming around him, and he had seen the, uh, the, um, uh, the people kind of picking up the mission and the message, and it was so so great. And then he went up on a mountain, literally, where he was transfigured. And you read about that, where Jesus was there with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And then Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament show up and they come in and they, you know, they're affirming Jesus, the law and the prophets. It's great. And even more than that, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son whom I love. Uh, Listen to him. I mean, everything is just set. The high seemed like a high moment in Jesus' life. And in terms of what we might call mountaintop experiences, it just doesn't get any better than this. But then Jesus comes off the mountain. Like all of us, it probably done it at some point in our life and immediately reality hits him. And that's where our scripture picks up. It says when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. "What are you arguing with them about?" he asked. A man in the crowd answered, "Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech." Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So when Jesus comes down, the best way to describe what he finds is just total chaos. I mean, everything is just going nuts. The disciples that are left down there, the other nine, they're in way over their heads. They're arguing with the crowd of people going back and forth, which is never a good setting to come into. When the people saw Jesus, they get into the action. They start running toward him like a mob action, seeming to overwhelm him. And on top of all this, in the mix there, there is a father with a little boy who is possessed by an evil spirit. I mean, things seem to be in chaos. Things seem to be falling apart. Right off this experience uh, on the mountain, he comes down and everything's a mess. And then Jesus steps in to address the situation. Remember here, as we go through this, that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And then we see a few occasions, I think, where his humanity comes out. And I believe this is in one place specifically that we see that, because Jesus comes down and he seems irritated. He seems frustrated at almost everybody. He seemed frustrated at the crowds. He seems frustrated at the teachers of the law, at the evil spirit, of course, and even his disciples. Everybody is is going to catch some of this. And um, uh, if that doesn't sound like Jesus for a moment, stay with me, and I think you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. Jesus said to them, you unbelieving generation, he replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, I sense some irritation in those words, maybe holy irritation, but it's there nonetheless. And Jesus is kind of upset with the incompetency, it seemed like, of everybody around And you would understand why when he came down and found this. The crowds for their unbelief, the teachers their law for their continuous criticism and constant opposition, the evil spirit for possessing this little boy who was innocent, the disciples for their weak faith and their lack of prayer in situations like this. So everybody here has kind of failed Jesus, it seems like. Everybody's at a point where they don't know what to do. But then I think that irritation faded very quickly and the compassion of Jesus steps in and he begins to address the situation. And he asked the father to bring his son to him. You know, the Bible identifies demon possession that causes illness and self-harm several times in the scripture. And, and there's a couple of reasons that people suggest for this. One of them is that the coming of Jesus was such a cataclysmic uh, event in the spirit world that many say that the spirit world uh, responded, the evil spirits, and there was more demon possession in that day. But, then, but then other people say, well, maybe that Jesus was best, better able to identify that, that he saw that for what it was, and, and that that happens today that we don't always make the connection there. But there's no doubt that some of these same issues that we have in our world today are caused by demon possession. We just don't know the difference all the time. We just can't always tell what the difference is. You know, today there are valid modern accounts of demon possessions where the demon is cast out and the person is left normal and left well after that. And I I don't have a lot of experience in this, but I have one occasion specifically that I believe was demon possession but was diagnosed as mental illness. And the reason why I say I'm I'm pretty sure it was demon possession is that when we went to see the lady, uh, she turned and looked at us. She sensed our presence before we said a word. She had an evil look in her eyes and she whispered to us, I am stronger than you are. I still send shields up my, up my spine. I'm telling you, I, I really think that was possession there. But in this case, the evil spirit had robbed the child of speech and was self destructive as well, causing seizures, throwing them to the ground, foaming at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, becoming rigid. You could just see all these things coming like a seizure on the child. It was real, and Jesus knew immediately what was happening. He knew how to fix it. So it says, Then they brought, the child, they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So either this spirit is extremely bold, really bold in the face of Jesus, or more than likely he knew his end was near, and he was getting a few last licks in on the little boy. But at any rate, he flaunts his power over the boy, causing a seizure and extreme symptoms. But the Bible says that Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You know, I think all of us probably could uh, identify with that father. Who among us who have children haven't had a moment where we took our child into the doctor and we're like, you got to do something about them. They got a high fever or they got these symptoms, got a broken bone. They've got something. We want to get this fixed as soon as possible. And this little boy's life has been consumed and controlled by an evil spirit, and everybody around him knows it. So it was a social stigma that he had as well as the symptom of his child, because this demon was literally trying to kill the little boy, throwing him into water, trying to drown him, throw him into fire to have him burnt. No doubt he had scars of that. He had brought him to Jesus to be healed. Finding Jesus wasn't there, he asked the disciples, but they had not been able to do it. They were helpless because this demon must have been particularly powerful. So the father says to him, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help him. I think we see a little more irritation coming out. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but but listen to what Jesus says. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. So what he sees here is a faith problem. He sees a father who, even though he brought his son, having a, a, a problem with faith on some level, the question is never, can God do something? The question is always going to be, will God do something? Yes. On another occasion, Jesus was approached by a leper who came to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now that's the kind of faith that God wants to see in us, right? Yes. That phrase, if you are willing, it can be done. Not if you can do something, uh, will you please do it? In that situation with the leper, Jesus said to him, I am willing, be clean. And the little, the man was cleansed from his leprosy. So this situation here reveals, I think, a lack of faith in everybody. Lack of faith in the crowd, the father, even the disciples who he thought was doing so well, uh, they have a lack of faith. And now the father is actually questioning the son of God asking, do you think you can do anything? But you know what, there's hope. There's, here's, there's hope, of course. And, the scripture goes, on. immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my belief. And that's a great start. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit, but let's finish the story right now. It says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was, was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked like a corpse that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Only by prayer. So Jesus had compassion and power, obviously, and he healed this little boy. You know, we've been in a series for three weeks now called Released, and this is the last message, the final message in that. And uh, we're going to talk today about being released to greater faith. Released to greater faith. This is kind of the turnaround I see in this story that everybody there hopefully gained more faith. And you know what? Our experiences in life should release us and free us and help us to grow to greater faith. I don't know how often you step out in faith. I mean, really step out in faith. Sometimes we say that, but we always kind of hedge our bets a little bit there. But there are times in our life when we are in desperate need, and the only thing that we can do is have faith. We're powerless, like this father this little boy. We have a great need, but we can't do anything about it. You know, I like the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. When I think about this definition of faith, I always think about my dad, uh, his experiences several years ago. You know, in the late 1960s, there were a very, very few deer in central Kentucky. I know that's hard to believe because you just drive down the road. Sometimes you see them everywhere. But at that day, several years ago, there were no little, if any, deer. And uh, the first deer season opened in the late '60s. And my dad wanted to go hunting. Now, my dad had never seen a deer, uh, maybe in a fence or you know at a park or something. He had never seen a deer. He had never seen a buck. But he was out there looking for a buck deer. And so he got ready and got up early in the morning, went out. It was cold, and he was walking around. And he, said, he reflected to himself that this must be faith. There was confidence in what he was hoping for. There was, no, there was no assurance. He couldn't see it. He's never even seen one in his life. But he had hope and faith that he would. And that later that day, he was rewarded with, with an eight-point buck, the first deer I'd ever seen of any sort back several years ago. But I like that illustration because it's really pictures what faith is when you step out and you try and you have no guarantee there's no proof nothing you can see you just trust you just believe you know one of the prerequisites of the christian life is faith believing that jesus is who he says he is and that jesus has all the power in the world the bible says that we are saved by our faith through grace and that we live and grow as christians by our increasing grace that uh, faith that, that is something that's been developing us Faith plays a part in everything that we do as Christians, from our beginning come into Christ, our growth in Christ, our hope in our future and our eternity. You know, several months ago, when we began this release initiative as a church, which for those of you who weren't familiar, was an effort for us to pay off our mortgage uh, that we've carried for 20 years. When we did this, we needed to have faith because we were trying to pay off three quarters of a million dollars on top of our normal operating budget coming out of a worldwide epidemic, going into a falling economy uh, with rising inflation, and, and really didn't have any resources to do that, to be honest with you. That's probably not something that we should have tried to do, certainly not on our own. If I were a consultant, I would say this is not a good time to try to do this. You should probably wait till things get a little bit better, but, but we chose not to do that. And, uh, but we felt like it was something that we should do. We felt like it was something God was kind of calling us to do as a church. So we prayed about it. We decided with God's help we we could do that. We were going to have faith to do it. And by his power and by his grace, we will, in the next couple of weeks, pay off that Doric mortgage completely. It will be gone. Absolutely. (laughs) And when we do, you're going to hear about it, we're going to have a little service of celebration on that, okay? So that's important. But what I want us to learn some things through this, because it's in times like this that we truly see the power of God move. When God does what we can't do, when God does what seems to be impossible for us, we could never do on our own, but God steps in and does that. And the question is, do we have faith? Can we trust him to do Great things in spite of our own limitations and our own lack of power. And the reality is that we don't always have the faith to do that. We don't always. Take the story of this little boy here with the evil spirit. You would think it would certainly be God's will for him to be healed and set free, But you know what? The teachers of the law, they didn't have the faith to do it. I'm sure that they were known as so weak in their faith that they didn't even, the father didn't even think about taking his child to them. They should have been the ones, they were the religious leaders of the day, but they didn't have the faith. And the nine disciples there, they couldn't cast it out. Their faith was weak. Seemingly they had been casting out other demons and other spirits and other times, but this must have been a really hard one. But it was an occasion for Jesus to reinforce the need for deeper faith, for them to challenge them to step up in their faith. So there's a couple of lessons that I think we can learn from this whole story. The first thing is that healthy faith uh, starts with honest faith. Healthy faith starts with honest faith. The father said, I do believe, but immediately he said, help me with my unbelief. Now he could have said, you know, I believe totally, 100%, I know you can do it but he didn't do that. He said, I do believe. But then he hedged himself by saying, well, I got a little bit of doubt about that. You know, I think that all of us identify with that at some point in our life. We know that we can believe, we know that we should believe, but there's always a part of us that, that, that kind of hedges and goes, I don't know. I'm not sure that God can do this. This seems bigger than anything I've seen God do, or I'm not sure that God's going to step in at this point. And you know, that little bit of doubt in our lives really hampers us from being who and what God wants us to be. In the back of our minds, we have a little reserve. Can he, but will he? You know, we don't always know the will of God in every situation. Our prayers need to be like that of the leper, though, that God, if you are willing, you can do this. You can do it. I believe you can if you are willing. But you know, at least his father was willing to acknowledge and honest enough to acknowledge that he didn't have complete faith. And I think sometimes that's what Jesus wants from us too. He wants honest faith, even if it's not perfect faith, even if it's not perfect. And I want to clear up one thing here that I've heard people say in the past that they might say to someone, well, God didn't answer your prayer because you didn't have enough faith. Let me tell you, there's just no biblical proof of that or basis for that whatsoever. If something is God's will, God can do it regardless of our level of faith. All right. That God doesn't tease us by holding something back and going, well, I would give this to you, but you just don't have enough faith to do that. There's no basis for that in the scripture. So we don't need to think or, or talk like that. If a person is not healed or a prayer is not answered, then obviously it's because it was not God's will to heal or to act in that situation. So we have to trust him on that. But on the other hand, it's clear that God also does reward great faith. He rewards great faith. Many times Jesus commended those who believed fully and deeply in Him. One was a Roman centurion that nobody would expect to believe. Here was a Gentile individual. Here was an occupier and their country. Nobody expected this Roman centurion to believe. But in Luke chapter seven, this man came up to Jesus to ask for healing for one of his servants. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go with you. And the man said, you know what? You don't even have to go with me. Um, Just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus was amazed at that kind of faith. And he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And the servant was healed immediately. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is approached by two blind men who come to him for healing. Uh, Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied, then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Do you catch that phrase? According to your faith, let it be done. And then in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth. And then uh, uh, the Bible says, though, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So even though he was from their hometown, they didn't believe in Jesus And they didn't believe in him enough to even ask for miracles or expect them. And so Jesus didn't do any there. You know, God will honestly reward those, I believe, who seek him. And God can work with honest faith, even if it isn't perfect faith. The second thing I I notice here is that we need to commit to go from unhealthy faith to healthy faith. We need to have a desire. Once we admit that we're struggling, a desire to take the next steps. Nobody steps Nobody starts with a strong, healthy faith. Nobody just says one day, suddenly, I believe everything God ever said, you know? Faith is born in us, and then faith grows in us. In fact, it's part of our journey in Christ. And the difference is, do we recognize our shortcomings in faith? Do we recognize our need, and do we commit to move in our faith? Are we willing to get better? Do we want to change? Carrie Newhoff said, the difference between an unhealthy person and a toxic person is unhealthy people want to get better and toxic people do not. We can be toxic in our faith and we don't really want to get better. If we're just unhealthy, we have a desire to improve and to grow. The, the leaders and religious teachers of the law, they were toxic. They had no faith. They didn't want any. I mean, they just wanted to argue. No matter how many miracles they saw, no matter how much they heard from Jesus, they were never going to change, never going to believe. But the Father's faith, even though it was weak, And wasn't super strong. He had enough faith to bring his son to Jesus and acknowledge his shortcomings and a desire to ask, have his faith to grow. And what Jesus could work with that. Jesus takes us where we are, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He receives us as we are, imperfect, faithless sometimes, but he wants us to grow in our faith. The third thing I notice about this is that to grow in our faith means that we have to exercise it. We have to exercise our faith. We have to you know, put some effort into that. Maybe the best example of this is the apostle Peter. Peter was uh, impulsive and emotional, and uh, Jesus wanted to use him, but it was obvious that Peter had to grow in his faith because, before he could be the man God had wanted him to be. On one occasion, Peter and the other disciples were in a boat in the middle of a storm, and they were terrified that the boat would sink, and, and they were scared. They would drown, and suddenly Jesus appeared walking on the water. I'm sure you read this story. Peter said to him, Lord, if this is really you, let me come to you on the water. Let me walk on the water. And Jesus invited him to come on out. He did so, and he walked on the water, a miracle for himself, until his faith failed and he began to sink. But you know what? Peter was willing to test his faith and willing to grow his faith. But to do that, he had to get out of the boat. He had to get out of his safety, the safe place. He had, he had to be in a place where he had no control so he could truly see what God was going to do. You know, I believe that most of us play it way too safe in life with, when it comes to faith. Most of us, we want to stay in the boat. We don't want to get out. We don't want to risk danger or loss or harm or anything. We're just terrified to get out of our safety spot there, to step out in faith, to do something that we can't control of ourselves. And you know what? That, that, that may be an act, it may be something that we just kind of go beyond what we've never done before, trusting that God's going to give us strength and courage. You know, maybe it's, it's putting our faith and trust in Jesus, something that the world, you know, laughs at or mocks, but, but we believe that He is secure and strong enough to hold us. Or maybe for some of us, it's to be able to give like we've never given before, trusting that God is going to meet our every need. And I want to tell you, I know that people who give sacrificial on a regular basis will tell you that God is faithful, that God will never, ever let us down. He will never fail us. He meets all of our needs and he blesses beyond what we can ever imagine, what we can give back to him. You know, I know that many of you guys have have given to release and you've given sacrificially. I know that to be true. It has to be true because there's no other way to explain how uh, that we've been able to retire this debt in, in 15 months. It was insurmountable in every way. And you know, Lori and I, early on, we decided that we want to make, want to make a sacrifice, a commitment to do that. And, um, and so we, I, I assumed that we got to the end of our um, commitment period, that we would kind of go back to retreat to a safer place, you know, in our, in our giving. I kind of thought that would make sense. We committed for a certain length of time. And uh, so we talked about that. Lori's retiring. Things are changing a little bit. And uh, so uh, on the way home from church last Sunday, Lori said, you know what? I don't, think we need to, I don't think we need to back off on our giving. I think we need to keep giving like we are. You know, for me, it was a moment of faith. I was like, all right, I think we can do that. You know, we're not going to have your check anymore. And I uh, think we can do that. And she's like, I think we should do that. So, uh, you know, lesson here is be careful what you say in public. Your wife may pick it up and... And then hold you to it or something. So I want to challenge you, if you've found God to be faithful over the last 15 months and how you've been giving, I want to challenge you to say, you know what, we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep doing it because we want to be blessed by God, but we also want to see the church continue to grow and and, and be able to serve and minister at greater levels than we have been. So that's my challenge to you. We're going to keep that challenge uh, because Lori said we are, and uh, I'm going to challenge you to do that as well, all right? But it may not be in giving. It may be that you need to pray. Maybe you need to pray about something, asking God uh, to do something that you know is humanly impossible. You know, maybe you're asking God to do something that you know God wants you to have. Maybe you're asking God to help give you the courage to, to serve or to step out of the new arena, you know, or, or do something that you are fearful of. You just pray about that and ask God to give you the strength to do that. And if it's God's will, that God's going to provide. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, "Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours." You know we call this mountain-moving faith, right? Because we pray that this mountain would move. I'm not sure God cares about literal mountains moving, but there are mountains in your life that you need to be praying that God would move. And they're, they're big, they're insurmountable. That's why they call them mountains, I guess. But, but God can move those things if you pray. And if you ask Him, and if you believe, that's what the Bible says very clearly. So let me ask you, do you pray with that kind of confidence and trust? Do you pray in that, in that way? I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he explained to his disciples why they were not able to cast out the evil spirit that possessed the boy. They had some faith, but not enough. Not enough faith to go against a powerful enemy, against a mountain. And Jesus said these kinds only come out with prayer. And some translation add prayer and fasting. When you get really serious about your prayer. So I think what this means is that it takes some effort, some commitment, some passion, some practice, some sacrifice on our part to grow in our faith. But when we do that, we're going to be rewarded. We're going to see the results of that, both here on earth and also in heaven. Faith, guys, we got to grow in that. If anything we've learned that I've learned from the last 15 months is that nothing is impossible with God. What we think God can't do, God can do. All we have to do is trust him and get on board and do our part and collectively with God, Letting him lead, we can do impossible things. You know, faith is where our journey starts, but it it doesn't end there. Healthy faith begins with honest faith. And we commit ourselves to believe, and we ask God to help us with our unbelief. Then we can grow greater and greater in our faith, and we experience greater power and greater faith by just stepping out. You know, the Bible says that we are known by our faith. That God knows us by our faith. Let me ask you this Does God know you by your faith? Does God know you? A few weeks ago, we were up in uh, Ohio with our middle daughter and um, our, our granddaughter, of course, as well. And uh, we go to see them to see her. She lives with them. So um, <laughs> tell you, are when grandparent, I'm telling you. Anyway, we were up there and they were looking for a church home. And we went with them to a church, and it's kind of a long story. I'll skip you that. But, but the minister of a church uh, called Solid Rock Church up in Ohio, uh, Touchdown Jesus, maybe you've seen him up there. Well, the minister of that church was there. We just happened to be there the day we were there, and it was an interesting story. But anyway, he told one illustration that, I, that really stuck with me. He said that, I assume they have a pretty high profile up there, probably on the TV or something. But he said his wife called him one day and said, you need to come home. There's somebody on our porch. I don't know who he is. He thinks he knows you, but he won't leave. And he's scaring me. So he came home. Uh, He went in the house. He got a gun. He came out. The guy's on his porch and he said, you got to go. And the guy goes, no, you know me. He's like, no, I don't have any idea who you are. He said, oh yeah, you know me. I know you, you know me. And anyway, long story short, he had to call the cops to come get him. But, But what he said was this, because the guy knew me, he thought I knew him. He thought I knew him. And he said, a lot of, lot of people think they know God. They read about him and, and, and they, they know stuff about him, but, they, but God doesn't know them. And you know the scripture that says on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, I knew you. I, I did great things. And he'll say to you, I, depart from me. I never knew you. So my question is, you may know a lot about God, but does God know you? Does he know you? And if he doesn't, and you don't have a relationship with him through Jesus, then it's time that you made that right. You fixed that. And you can do that by surrendering your heart and your life to Him. And that's our response this morning to you. In just a few moments, I'm going to have a prayer. We're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask Zach, if he would, to come up. And I think George is going to step up and be available here. Uh, We've got some folks who are going to be baptized this morning, which is awesome, wonderful. And uh, so we're going to be going to do that and preparing for that. But if you are here this morning and you have never given your life to Christ. You have never been baptized. We would love to have you join us. You just come on back. It's never. We never close this time, this invitation for people to respond to Jesus. So let's pray right now. Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for this story about a man, a desperate man with his little boy. (laughs) Father, help us never to to overlook the seriousness um, and the emergency of the, the little boy who was caught in uh, the power of a demon. But God, through this story, we discover what it's like to have faith and the need for greater faith. And Lord, we learn that in all sort of ways, in practical ways, like our released initiative, where you've shown up and you've helped us pay this off. But, but God, in many other ways where our prayers are answered, and Lord, where they're not answered the way we want, we know, we trust you because this is your will. If you are willing, you can. God, help us always to seek your will. But Lord, in everything, would you grow our faith? to the point that we can give you our lives, surrender to you, and, Lord, that you will know us and just as we know you. Lord, we lift all these things up in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's rise and sing.